Good morning, church. Great to see you. Thanks for coming. Would have been really lonely without you, so thank you. Prepared the sermon. I was going to come and preach it. Didn't matter if there's anyone here or not, so thank you for showing up. Way to go. Um, We're starting a series this morning entitled, We Give, and we do believe that God has placed in our heart a desire that is similar to His, which is to be generous and liberal and to be open-handed and open-hearted, that we are the people who give. And because of that, we have received the wonderful grace of God and the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ as a gift, and we have learned this lesson. And so we want to remind ourselves of these important truths. I'm going to use as our reference today four short verses in Mark chapter 12. And so I'll ask you to turn there if you have your Bibles. Mark 12, I'm going to read verses 41 to 44. This is a widow woman's offering, which Jesus took uh, unusual uh, attention. And as you're turning there, let me just to give you an update. As you know, we set a goal of $40,000 for our Christmas offering this past year, and we've exceeded that. Maybe you've noticed in the financial focus there in your bulletin, the offering is over $41,000 now. So we hit that goal. That's cause for celebration. That's just great. Fantastic. And so thank you for your generosity, and we God, give God thanks uh, for his faithfulness to us. It's wonderful. So we are going to uh, read now these verses from Mark chapter 12. Let me invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. And Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. May God inspire us through this important story. You may be seated. The story is told of a circus strong man who had very powerful hands. One of the things he would do is take a lemon before the crowd and squeeze all of the juice out of that lemon. Then he would make a wager that if anyone from the audience could squeeze just one more drop from that lemon, they'd win a a great prize. And so over the years, many tried to squeeze just one more drop, drop from the lemon, but Uh, No one ever could. Sometimes these were big and strong guys, but no one could get one more drop. Finally, on one occasion, a little skinny guy, kind of middle-aged and pale and scrawny, weakly, you know, in appearance, he walked up and said, I'd like to try. Of course, everyone thought it was funny, and they were laughing at him, and, and they gave him the lemon, and he took the lemon in one hand and began to squeeze. And to the amazement of the crowd, and especially this strong man, he was able to squeeze another half a glass from that lemon. Folks ask in amazement, how were you able to do that? He said, oh, that was nothing. I'm the treasurer of the local Baptist church. We squeeze lemons every week. (laughs) Yeah. Now, it's more than a little unfortunate that so many churches have to beg and conjole and manipulate people into giving money. I I can still vividly recall my, my home church, my, the church I grew up in, at the end of the year, my pastor, and this is when I was in a formative stage of my life, I can remember him, I can see him right now in his facial expressions, in a very serious and somber, even uh, frightened or even threatening tone, 
would remind the church how many thousands of dollars they were short of making the budget for that year. And please, if you don't help us, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, that kind of speech at the end of the year, every year, it just, it troubled me then and it, you know, it infuriates me now. But we have churches that offer fashion shows and bake sales and chicken dinners and rummage sales, which I've coined junk for Jesus, in order to squeeze out the last drop, collection after collection, attempt after attempt, simply to break even. And listen, friends, there's nothing inherently wrong with a chicken dinner or a rummage sale. That's not, that's not my point. But when these things happen, it's an indication that there's something wrong something even drastically wrong at the level of the heart of the thing, the attitude of the thing, the motives behind the thing. You know, when God has to squeeze out of us worship, squeeze out of us praise, squeeze out of us time, squeeze out of us service, when he's been so big and so great and so lavish, and we have to squeeze out every drop Something must be wrong, especially at the level of, a, of our heart. Now, right away, you may be suspicious of, of, of why I'm bringing this particular theme up right now. And, and the reason for it isn't because I think uh, that all of us need correction in this regard. Because obviously, I just announced that we made a $41,000 Christmas offering, which is an amazing response of generosity and open-handedness. And so... All that to say, most of us understand these things and we get it. But from time to time, it's right for us to rehearse and to, and to question if our motives are still right. I don't know about you, but I have to check myself once in a while because my, my heart tends to stray. My attitude sometimes tends to sour. And I, and I start rationalizing and making excuses. And, and even when I'm doing the right thing, I'm not doing it for the right reason. And so I want to check my heart. The Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence because all of the issues of life flow from your heart. And that's what, that's what this is today, just kind of a checking to, of, our, of our motives. I, I made a decision early in ministry that I would preach and teach on this important subject and then let people do the right thing. One of our core values here at Union Chapel is that the people of God want to honor and obey God. So the assumption of my leadership is that you want to do the right thing. And so my, my strategy is simply to preach and teach on this, this sub, subject of stewardship from a biblical perspective, and then, and then people will do because they want to honor and do the right thing. Jesus, in these four short verses today in our text in Mark 12, drives this point home to us. We find Jesus here as he is prone to do, using the subject of stewardship to actually illustrate a deeper issue of the heart. So he uses money and possessions, the issue of stewardship, to indicate something more important, more intrinsic to our faith, the, the attitudes of our heart. Jesus was clear about this concept throughout his teaching. He taught that the best indicator of our heart is revealed by our treasure. Twice in the Gospels, one in Matthew 6 and the other in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is quoted as saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You remember those words. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. So let's be clear. There isn't anything particularly spiritual about money. It's merely a means to an end. It's the thing we use in exchange for goods and services. Actually, God then, therefore, is not interested in money per se. It's not about that. He simply reminds us that the way we steward our money 
The way we steward our possessions is a strong indicator of the condition of our hearts, of our attitudes, of our affections, of our motives. So just in your car, you have indicator lights. And some of them have to do with temperature or oil pressure, battery. Uh, when your temperature light comes on in your car, listen, it's not, a, it's not indicating a light problem. It means there's something deeper in your, in your car. There, there's a problem. And therefore, in the recorded words of Jesus, what we find is that one in six verses uses the subject of money to illustrate deeper issues. And you're all following me now, I think. And so, not because money is the issue, but because it's an indicator of more important issues that's why Jesus uses the subject to address these, these important values. So in our text today, there's a few things that we can learn from this poor widow woman and her offering. Jesus responds to it. The first is this. Jesus is watching this whole situation unfold, and he's watching it intimately. Notice how intimate his watch is. Notice it. He sat down opposite the treasury. He intentionally went over to where the offering was being taken. He was very interested in the offering. Now note that. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus is interested in the offering that we take up here at Union Chapel? Is he curious about our motives and our attitudes and our spirit when the offering's taken? Jesus sat down across from the treasury because he knew hearts were going to be revealed there, indicated there, best indicated there. Uh, you should know that where Jesus and his disciples were positioned that day was just on the opposite side of a, of a large courtyard uh, on the side of the temple. And the temple actually had these 13 receptacles that came up out of the, out of the wall. They were, they were horn-shaped and kind of funneled them down inside of the building so that people could come by to one of these 13 receptacles and just put offerings there. And you could hear, kind of hear the offering as it clanged down through this funnel into the treasury. And Jesus is there taking note. This, this courtyard was actually called the Court of Women. You could cram thousands of people into that space, and it was quite beautiful. As the disciples were leaving that day, in fact, in Mark 13, 1, one of them said, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And indeed, we knew that the original temple before its destruction was a magnificent uh, study in architecture and beauty and design. Josephus, the Jewish historian tells us that when the sun shone down on the Jewish temple, it would produce a striking glare of light bounced off the silver and gold. It was, it was inlaid and veneered over m many parts of it, with literally with gold and silver. So it was a strikingly beautiful place. So he's watching in this plush environment as offerings were being deposited. And the rich people apparently were obvious. Verse 41, it says, many rich people threw in large amounts. Now here's a question. How did Jesus know how much they were putting in? How do you know? Well, the answer is a very simple one. It's because he was watching. He was watching to see how much they were putting in. And how did they know they were rich? Probably by simple observation, you know, Tommy Hilfiger tunics, Mercedes-Benz chariots. Rolex sundials, fine leather, coach, pocketbooks, purses. <laughs> then a poor widow woman, no one noticed her. She was obscure in every way. You can imagine her with her head covered, raggedy little coverings on her body. 
maybe a little purse, maybe not. She's just making her way, shuffling her way through this large crowd of people. And she places two small copper coins worth less than a penny into the receptacles. You can barely hear it as it, they cascade down this receptacle. And as a widow, she has no real means of support. Her husband is dead. She puts in these two copper coins. They're actually coins that had a name. They were called leptas, L-E-P-T-A. Leptas in the day was the lowest form of coinage in Palestine. It was uh, the equivalent of 1 64th of a day's wage. Uh, it was much like our penny. Maybe you've heard uh, some of the consideration to do away with the penny in the American currency. So the woman drops in two lepta. Now, let me ask you this question. How close, how interested would Jesus have to be in order to notice this offering? How close, how interested, how intimate would he have to be? See, Jesus was sitting there watching for the indicator lights to go on. He's paying attention. So he watches intimately. Then the second thing we learn is that he watches critically. He's analyzing what he saw. He analyzed carefully who was giving what they were giving, and most importantly, why they were giving. Now watch. He observed this woman beyond the obvious and, and, and discerns the motives and the heart intent of everyone who's giving, and especially this woman. He calls his disciples to him. Jesus was so touched, so moved, so encouraged by what he observed, he called his congregation together. And so here's John and Matthew and James and Bartholomew and Luke. He said, did you see that? Woman drops in two pennies. They tinkle down into the, into the receptacle. And he said, did you see that? Guys, come here. He said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Two pennies. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had. It was so impressive because she gave out, gave out, out of her poverty while the others, everyone else, was giving out of their surplus. And that was the difference, and that's what got Jesus' attention. The rich gave out of what they had left over. It may have been a lot, but it was extra for them. This was after the car note, the house mortgage, the credit cards, the club dues, the restaurant tabs. After everything else was covered, then they brought their offering. And so here's a lesson that we can learn, and it's an important one. It's really the lesson of the day. So if you haven't been paying any attention up to this point... If you haven't been paying any attention until right now, if you get the next statement, you'll actually be caught up. You're welcome. Here it is. God measures your gift, indeed measures your heart, your motives, not by the amount, but by your motive. God never measures what you do by the amount in which you do it, but rather by the motive from which you do it. God measures your gift not by the amount, but by the motive. So here's a question. Do you give in order to honor and bless and please God? Is that what motivates you? Think about this woman for a moment. If you could describe a person with an excuse not to give, this would be the person. Think about it. First of all, there were economic reasons for her not to give. She didn't have anything. She was poor. She was pitiful. She gave all she had. She had two, she had two cents. That's all she had, which is nothing. She had nothing. The equivalent of nothing. <laughs> She gave all she had. Now, if, if ever there was a, a reason for someone not to give, it would be this person, wouldn't it? They have nothing to give. So why would you expect anyone to give? They don't have anything to give. 
But she overcame that obstacle, that excuse. She could have said to herself, look, I don't have anything to give, so why bother? But she was making a statement, not about what she was giving, but why she was giving. She was communicating not only, not only to herself, but to God. Look, God, my hope, my confidence, my trust, my faith is in you. So I'm going to give even though I don't have anything to give. Let me ask you a question. When you make an excuse for not giving, and I know you do because I do. I've made excuses for not giving. I assume you've made excuses for not giving. What is your excuse? I want you to think about that. I want you to examine yourself today and just embrace that challenge. But she gave in spite of it. Here's another reason. There were religious reasons for her not to give. The preceding verses are actually Jesus explaining to his followers that the priests of the temple of that day were corrupt. He said, these guys are no good. They'll, they'll, they'll rob widows from other homes. They'll, they'll wear special clothing and pray long prayers just to draw attention to themselves. Jesus said, these guys are corrupt and they're going to be punished, severely punished for it. So the word was out. The priesthood was corrupt. The money going into the temple was probably not being used appropriately. And so there were religious reasons not to give. I can't trust those people. I can't give them any money. But she overcame that. And then there's a motivational reason. She could have asked herself, you know, look at this place. I mean, it's, it's, it's lined, it's veneered in gold and silver. I, can you imagine what it costs to run the program around here? just to keep the buildings in place. I mean, this is a big budget, big budget operation. And so she could have reasoned, what are my two cents going to matter? If I give them, if I don't give them, no one's going to miss them. And so there were these economic reasons, religious reasons, and motivational reasons. But as it turns out, watch this now, this woman wasn't giving to the temple fund. She wasn't giving to support corrupt priests. And she wasn't giving to impress her peers. She was giving to honor God, to bless and please God, to pleasure God. What drew her to the temple that day was her personal devotion to God and her desire to please him with everything in her power. This woman had a high view of God and she had a, had a high perspective of her need for God. That's pretty good, isn't it? A person who comes to a place where she realizes she has a high view of God and a high desperation for God. That's helpful to us, isn't it? Because isn't her reality everyone's reality? And the truth is, everyone should highly esteem God and, and recognize our need for God. Nod your head, at least. Everyone should get that. And she got it. So there she is. Many years ago, a man was building an orphanage in, in England, and he was collecting funds for the orphanage, and he approached a wealthy man in England, and he asked, would you help? And the rich man gave him the equivalent of a $5 check. And he said, since this is for you, here's $5. And this, this brother took the check in the man's presence and tore it up, let it fall to the ground. And he said, sir, this money is not for me. The man smiled, wrote another check for $100, and he said, since this is for God, here's another check. He got it. He understood it. A question that we should ask ourselves is to whom are we giving? This woman could have stayed home and purchased a morsel of bread. She didn't. She could have reasoned why give money to that corrupt church. She didn't. She could have reasoned who is going to miss my two cents anyway. 
She didn't. Why? Because she was giving to God. She was placing her hope and her future and her faith in God. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Can we just come, can we come to the theme again? It's not what you give. It's why you give. It's never about what you give. It's always about why you give. To whom are you giving and in whom do you trust? Pastor stood in his church one morning and announced a building campaign. Then he asked for pledges. The only multimillionaire in his congregation stood up and says, I pledge $100 to the building campaign. He sat back down, and just as he sat down, a piece of plaster from the ceiling of the church fell, broke loose and fell, hit the man right on top of the head. He brushed himself off, stood back up, and he said, I raised my pledge to $10,000. He sat down, the pastor bowed his head and prayed out loud, and he said, Oh, Lord, hit him again. Hit him again, Lord. (laughs) too many serve the leftover God isn't that right the extra God the tip God after the house after the car after the clothes after the other expenses then God gets what's left over two little girls I'm sorry a little girl was getting ready to to go to church one morning her mother gave gave her two one dollar bills she said now one of these dollars is for God in the offering and the other dollar bill is for candy after church And the little girl was just happy she could be. They got out of the car to walk into the church, and a gust of wind snatched those $2 bills out of her hand. They went flying down the street, and the little girl chased after the $2 bills, and she finally caught up with one of them, but the other one was gone. And she she stood up and said, Well, God, there goes your dollar. (laughs) It's interesting, when things have to be cut, God often loses out first. Can you imagine God notices that? Can you imagine that God weighs that in his scales which judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Now God knows this about me. God knows that I'm more interested in why you give rather than what you give. And if I could just convey one thought to you today, it's this. God cares about why you give. In fact, God cares about why you do everything you do. Because everything about being a Christian and living the Christian life and living in an honorable way is about why you do what you do. It's all about the intentions and thoughts of the heart. It's all about your attitude. It's all about your motives. And it doesn't matter whether you're caught talking about finances or career or relationships or any subject of life. Everything flows out of a motivated heart to honor and please and serve God. Are you following me? So finances are no different. And God knows this about me, and I'll just say it for those of you who may not know me yet, and that is that I am, I am concerned about why you give. I am not concerned about what you give. Listen to me. You can believe me or not. I don't care what you give. I couldn't give a flip what you give. You be, I hope you believe me. I don't care. I'm, listen, I'm capable of not caring. I know me. So I'm, when I say it, you should believe me. I don't care. I don't care what you give. But I care passionately. I care desperately why you give. Because I know if you'll get the why part right, then the what takes care of itself. If you, if you are on balance and have the right perspective on why, then the what will find its way. Mm-hmm. 
If I, can convict, if I can convince you that it's all about your heart and your motives before God and your desire to please Him, and that's, and that's why you give and that's why you live and that's why you act and that's the way why you react the way you do, that's the way why you serve, then it all sort out. There will be more than enough of the what, no matter what you need, if your why gets answered in a healthy way. See, there it is. Too many serve that leftover God. God knows I'm interested. By the way, no one ever gets pointed out in this church for what they give. No one ever gets pointed out for what they give. Nobody. Ever. Because what isn't important? It's why. There's only two places in our whole campus where anyone's been singled out for giving something. But it's not because of what they gave or how much they gave. It's because who they were and how they lived. One of those examples is a plaque that we have in our prayer room just off the sanctuary in honor and memory of John Wybrew. John Wybrew was one of the patron saints of the church. He was here long before Beth and I got here. And he and his wife Mary were the, you know, substance and ethos of the church for many years. And so when John passed away, Mary gave a little money and we used it to spruce up the prayer room, so we put a plaque up in John's honor because he was such an important person in the life of our church historically. So his name's up there, but it's not because of how much they gave it. I mean, it wasn't that much money. I mean, it wasn't it, much, but it's because of who he was. And the only other example here is a, is a little plaque that has the name of Sue Williamson on it just inside of the doors to the playground in the children's area because she was part of our team here. And and taught kindergarten for years at Albany School, and she was just a delightful person and a great leader. And because of who she was and how she lived, we decided to name, and when she passed, her husband Joe gave a few bucks, you know, to help build some playground equipment, but it wasn't the money, it wasn't what they gave, it wasn't that much. But because of who she was, we put up a little plaque. So in 32 years of my tenure here, we've recognized two people for their contribution, and it wasn't about the what, it was about the why. And there is no one on the list. So, for example, if you're in the room right now and you're thinking, how can I get my name on a plaque here at Union Chapel? You're the perfect candidate for not having your name on a plaque. <laughs> I bet you if I gave him a million dollars, he'd put my name on something. <laughs> I bet you I won't. Because <laughs> I don't care what you give. I don't care what you give. If you give, me, give us a million dollars, I'll be happy and thankful and appreciative and, you know, I'll pat you right on the back. But there won't be no plaque. Because <laughs> it's not about that. It's not about that. If we get the why right, then everything else will take care of itself. That's, that is such good preaching. I can't, can't tell you. That's really good. Yeah, that's right. I had a man come up to me right after first service this morning and say, I went to a church for many years, and I tried to tell them because it seemed like all they were interested in my life was my pocketbook, and so it was all about that. And he said, you know, every, at the end of the year, the pastor had to stand up and say, if you don't give, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll have to close this thing down, you know, or all this, all this trouble. And he said, I kept trying to tell them, if, you, if you'll take care of my heart, then the pocketbook will take care of itself. But if you focus on the pocketbook, you're going to miss the whole point. And he said, I, he said, the first Sunday that I was in this church many years ago, I realized this is where I need to be because 
you're so careful to take care of our heart that the rest of it follows. Here's the last thought. Jesus not only watched this whole thing intimately and critically, but he also did so spiritually. Giving in Christianity is unlike any other giving because no other organization asks the question, why? I get a call from United Way or the Police Benevolence or the Girl Scout and their cookies, all good causes, but I, I'm always asked the question, will you give and how much will you give? Never the question, why are you giving? But that's not true in Christianity. God not only looks at what you give, but also why you give. I actually observe this in, at, at offering time in other churches. When I'm visiting other churches, there are two things I'm interested in. You know, the general experience, you know, I want to be able to worship, and that's always a nice opportunity for someone like me who doesn't always get to blend in and just be a worshiper. But I watch for two uh, parts of the service. The first is the offering. I like to look at how people are responding at, a, at their nonverbal accountants level. And it's fun for me to watch Christian saints who are just thrilled about the offering. They've got joy on their face, and you can see they're already prepared for it. They've prayed about it. They've planned ahead. They're ready when the offering comes by. And then there are other folks, you know, they reach for their wallet, and they get this, they get this dilemma. You know, they're, they're, it's like they're on the horns of dilemma. And, and their nonverbal countenance is saying, you know, how much can I afford to give? And how much would be enough so that it's not really hurting me, but it, on the other hand, it is enough that it won't embarrass me if someone found out how much I was giving. And this, this kind of conflict, uh, it's just not good. And, and believe me when I say that God also takes notice of that. The widow, when faced with the choice to stay home or go to church, she trusted God. When faced with the option of eating or giving an offering, she trusted God. She made a spiritual decision that wouldn't make sense to a lot of her friends and doesn't make sense to a lot of people now. There are people in the room right now, you're still, you find this whole subject incredulous. There's likely to be someone or more in the room, or even right now, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't, what is, what is he talking about? And what is wrong with this widow woman? She's a fool. What is the matter with her? She doesn't have anything. She's already starving. And so she gives everything she has in the offering? Why? That's crazy. doesn't make any sense. Well, all of that to say, friends, it could very well be that the greatest measure, the greatest indicator of the motivation of your own heart is how you steward the resources of God. It could be that Jesus' reaction to this woman that day was just another sign to us that the biggest, brightest indicator light in our life for our heart and our motive and our desire to please God is actually manifest with the way we steward the resources God gives us. There are single women in our church and you're being dated by, by young men perhaps and uh, maybe that young guy's cheap. Now listen, I didn't say he was poor. I said he was cheap. If you're constantly being treated to McDonald's when he could offer you better, uh, you keep an eye on that guy. Not because there's anything wrong with McDonald's, but because he may be expressing how much he values you. And this isn't just true in dating relationships, it's also true in marriages. It's not just a money issue, it's a value issue. It's so quiet in here, so quiet. You hear those crickets chirping? It's quiet. 
Here's my point. God is worthy of our highest praise and our highest devotion. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of our very best. He is worthy. He's been so good and so great and so lavish and so kind toward us. He's given us everything we need. And this woman, this widow, she gave herself in complete dependence on God. She gave all, of she ha- all she had out of her need, out of her poverty. Why did she do it? Because she was confident in God. She knew her need for God. We should follow her example. I look forward to meeting her when I see her in heaven. I know, I, I, I can tell you what her countenance is going to be. She's going to be really happy. She's going to be very proud. She's going to go, I know, who knew? You know, went by one day, threw a couple of pennies in, that's all I had. She said, it wasn't a big deal to me. That's just the way I lived my life. I had to live in constant trust in God or otherwise I would be dead. So I just trusted God. Just the, it was just my, my heart. It's the way my faith activated. And she said, here I ended up in the Bible. And I'll say, good for you, girl. You're awesome. You inspired so many people. I love that stuff. But here's the point. You may be in financial crisis today. Listen, if you're in financial crisis today, your number one need isn't money. Your number one need is God. And a renewed faith and trust and confidence in God. You You may be in relational crisis today. Listen, if you're in relational crisis today, you may need counseling, but that's not your first need. Your first need is God. You need to get your heart right with God because you can't be the right person in a relationship unless you're in right relationship first with God. Come on now. You may may be in health crisis today. You may need surgery or medicine or you may need some kind of physical therapy. You may need help, but that's not your first need. Your first need is God. Mm -hmm. You may be in personal crisis, family crisis, career crisis. You may be in some kind of crisis, and your primary need is God, first and foremost. I love this story in 1 Kings 17. This is another widow woman, the widow at Jerophath. And, and this is a, such a neat story. She is down to the end of it. There's a famine in the land. Everybody's starving. She has this little son. She's a single mom. She's pitiful. She has nothing left. She's got a little oil and a little flour left in the, in the cupboard. That's it. And she's going she's gonna to sit down with her son. She's going to mix that up, make a little cake. And she and her son are going to eat this final meal, and then she's going to crawl up with her son in a corner, and they're going to die. That's the plan. One more meal, then we're going to starve. And the prophet Elijah finds her. And as she's getting ready to fix this final meal, it's all she has left in the world, the prophet Elijah says to her, give me that cake. She said, well, the plan was for my son and I to have this last meal, and then we're going to die. And the the prophet says, you give it to me. Give it to me instead. Thus saith the Lord, give it to me. Now that woman had a decision to make, didn't she? Now all the conventional wisdom in the world would say to that woman, listen, it's your cake. It's not someone else's cake. It's all the cake you have left. You're responsible to take care of that boy. This is your responsibility. And so you do what anyone, any normal, rational person would do, You eat that cake and feed it to your son, and then you do whatever you have to do. If you have to die after that, okay. But it's yours, and it's not his, so don't give it to him. That's conventional wisdom. But the prophet's at the door saying, if you'll give me that last cake, you'll be obeying God. The word of God to you is, feed it to me. And you know what she did? 
She gave the prophet her last meal. I don't know. I, th I suppose he sat there and ate it in front of her. You said, that's just so wrong. But the next morning she got up. Prophet came by and he said, have you had your breakfast? She said, what are you talking about? We don't have anything left. You ate everything we had left. He said, maybe you better check. And so she went over and she found oil in the flask and went over to her little flower bin and she found flour and she made some food and fed herself and her son. And the next morning... She was curious, and she went back again, and there was oil again and flour, and she ate again. And the day after that, 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 until the famine had ended. God miraculously supplied the woman's need. Now, there's something in there, something to that. Last thought, I've always wondered... If Jesus would miraculously appear here in our service and he was one of the ushers, Jesus himself, you know, hair, beard, robe, Jesus, sandals, Jesus shows up. He's here, physically here, and he's one of the ushers. Think about this. And it's time for the offering. All right, time... For the offering, time to give our tithes and his offerings. And let's celebrate that if we can. Until you see Jesus. And then Jesus makes his way down the aisle. He comes to your row. And you're there. And, you know, the usher, typically, here comes a container. And you go, no, I'm not, I didn't, I can't afford, I sermon stunk last week and you just want to pass it by because only this time you look up and the nail scarred hand of Jesus is handing you the offering container does that do anything for you? when I think about that personally that really challenges me to think about it so would you remember today, it's not about what you give, but it's why you give. And imagine when you give, you're actually giving it to the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. And if we'll, if we'll do that, then our motive will be right, and our heart will be right, and we'll, we'll bring honor and pleasure to God. That's what he wants. Did you get it? I hope you did. All right, would you stand with me? Let's pray for just a moment. Uh, apparently, Lord, you watch our giving, apparently, intimately, critically, spiritually. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, make that meaningful to us. Remind us, oh God, your words today, that a man's treasure will reveal his heart. So search us, O oh God, and know us. Help us to understand ourselves better. Reveal to us your truth. Help us to live in that. Thank you for this widow woman who overcame all of her excuses for not giving. Lord, we confess we've made excuses. Forgive us today.
And help us to remember why we give to your glory and praise, we ask. In Jesus' name, everyone said.